Our call to worship is from Isaiah 45. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to worship you this morning in response to your call to offer you the thanks and praise of which you alone are worthy. Help us, Lord, calm our fears, lift up our hearts to you in love. Help us to remember that you are the sole good, beauty, and truth that our hearts are made to desire. For whom have we in heaven but you? Help us to desire you and your kingdom above all else, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us begin with him. 221.
Please be seated. As we come into the presence of our holy God, we offer our prayer of confession as it is printed in the bulletin. Please pray with me. God, our Father, who is rich in mercy and with whom is plenteous forgiveness, remember not the sins of our youth nor our transgressions. Blot them out for the sake of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, who became the sacrifice for our sins for the sake of his crimson blood. Let our sins be forgiven, and let them be imputed to us no more. In the name of our blessed Savior, we pray. Amen. Would you please stand for the assurance of pardon, which comes this morning from Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, be assured that through him you have peace with God and assurance of forgiveness. Let us say, Praise be to God. Please be seated. Our call to grateful obedience comes from the Apostles' letter to the Thessalonians. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to, you, to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep, as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on a breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up as you are doing. So let us live in light of the reality of the coming kingdom and its full flourishing in Christ. The kingdom is here. Uh, we are citizens thereof, therein. And in, in the midst of the noise of this world, the claims the world makes on us, let us remember the life of the world to come and encourage each other in that reality. For this is God's will for you in Christ. And let us say, Amen. Our next hymn, 242. Thank you. 
Please be seated. And now we join our prayers with those of our mediator, Jesus Christ, who intercedes for us. Father in heaven, we thank you that you hold the world in your hands and have not turned your back on your creation. Since you have so loved the world, we pray for the world. We pray for the end of war in Ukraine. We pray for the end of hostilities in the Middle East and for stability in Gaza. We remember the Nigerians, uh, Christian Christians uh, massacred in Nigeria in these recent days. We pray for the end of persecution of, of these brothers and sisters. We pray for good governance in our own country, for law and order in our cities, and secure borders for our nation. We pray for the integrity of our judicial system and for moral clarity in our leaders. We pray for the coming of your kingdom, for Octavius Delfields in Haiti, missionaries Mark and Jenny Richline in Uruguay, and Sam Fulta in China. We pray for the growth of your church here in our country. In particular, we pray for Peninsula Reformed Church in Yorktown, a new church that is getting established. We pray for their growth and stability. We pray for church plants of the Detroit Project of the PCA in Novi, in Dearborn, and in Clarkston. We also pray for our sister church in Metamora, and their pastor, David Bonner. Here at Providence Church, we pray for our newly formed pastoral search committee and the work of finding a new pastor and for guidance for this phase of transition in the life of the church. We pray for those who are ill, recovering, or grieving, for Amy and her family, for Frida, for Tammy and her family. We thank you for Kay's successful surgery this week. We pray for the Klaus family as they're recovering from the flu. We pray for friends Kara, Jane, Becky, Phil, Angie, Karen, and Dominic. Oh Lord, you hear our prayers. You hear us in the name of the one who has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lead us not into temptation, but bring us our defense. 
completely forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, I'd like to ask the ushers to come and take up the offering. And now, uh, as we prepare to hear God's word read and preached, it's fitting that we ask for the Lord's assistance, the assistance of his spirit, so that we might rightly receive his word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, your word is a light to us, a lamp unto our feet as well. Guide us. Uh, help us to hear, to respond in joy and confidence and gratitude for what you have done and what that means. We pray that you would be glorified by the bearing of fruit um, that your word brings. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading is in Deuteronomy. Chapter 28. Beginning in verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. 
Cursed you shall be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall your basket and your and your kneading bowl shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds, because you have forsaken me. Our Psalter response is in the bulletin from Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. And I call on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious is the sight of the Lord to the of excuse me. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise Praise the Lord. Lord. Turn with me next to 2 Timothy. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in, the su- share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And next, a gospel reading from John. 
Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It was a delight to be with you and to close out 2023 with you on this uh, Lord's Day. Typically, around this time of year, we are reminded to make New Year's resolutions, and we think ahead about the year that awaits us, Lord willing. And yet Moses gives us, I think, the best advice, and that is to teach us, O Lord, to number our days. Why? So that we might gain a heart of what? Wisdom. So we might gain a heart of wisdom. Let me invite you at this time, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And I'm actually going to read a few verses before verse 1. So if you open up to Galatians chapter 4, you're going to see the end section of Galatians chapter 3. If you're using the chair Bible, you'll find that on page 974. 974. You know, it's one thing to sing joy to the world with our candlelights and hot cocoa waiting for us after a night of caroling, but it's quite another matter to sing, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, when the sound of exploding bombs muffle our voices. Whether you live in Ukraine or Gaza, whether the ravages of cancer disable your bodily functions or you live with broken relationships, whether you're living with guilt and consequences from morally bad choices that you've made or you're experiencing despair that comes from habitual sins, that you're too ashamed to talk about, whatever it is for you, experiencing that joy that we sing often during this time of year often seems elusive and out of reach. And there's good reason for this. The effects of sin's curse are all around us and in us. I hope you saw the continuity in the Old Testament reading as well as up here to the New Testament passage that we're going to be looking at, the curses that all of us are under and would be condemned under if it were not for Christ who bore the curse of sin in his body. But we know that the effects of 
the curse are all around us. We feel it, we see it, we know it, we hear it. There's no help in medications, counseling, or a lottery win. There's no snake oil or holiday cheer or shiny lights that can reverse sin's curse. But there is one hope, and there is one answer, and only one. The world sings about it, but mocks it. Christians celebrate it, but struggle to experience it. The Lord is come, and with him his blessings flow far as the curse is found. But the Apostle Paul says it so much better. Beginning in chapter 3, verse 23, all the way through chapter 4, verse 7. This is the word of God. Listen carefully to its reading. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray together. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Lord, you have put your spirit within us so that we might desire to live pure and holy lives before you. And so we pray that you would teach us from your word to understand your word so that we might grow to love you more today than we did yesterday. Reprove us by your word so that we might see plainly errors in our doctrine and conduct. And through your word, correct us that we might walk in paths of righteousness and trained in it, that your holy will is embraced as normative in our lives. Your word, O Lord, to us this morning is profitable so that we might be fully equipped for every good work as sons and daughters, indeed, even as prophets, priests, and kings. And so we pray that you would open your word to us, 
We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you saw him, I know that you would feel sorry for him. But maybe, just maybe Rodney had it coming. He had about a week to live. He was alone. He had no money, completely broke. Dying for him was certainly a lot better than living. You know, it's easy to feel sorry for a person who is in that state until you learn that his kids only knew an alcoholic and sexually promiscuous dad who abandoned them when they were just little kids. They hadn't spoken for decades. They didn't even know that he had a week to live. The state would cremate him and put him in a ground with only me and the staff member of the funeral home standing by his open grave. Died alone, buried alone, and no tears. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Oh, really? I have to admit, it was hard to visit him each week. All I wanted to do was close my eyes and walk away. Whether it's because of misery in your own life or in the lives of those that you love, you know the overwhelming desire to close your eyes and just, at times, just kind of walk away from what you see. What we can't seem to stop, we have no desire to face. But closing our eyes and, and walking away are not biblical responses to sin's curse. God doesn't close his eyes and walk away. He steps right into our curse, right into a world filled with misery and despair. He would send his unique son, his one and only son, filled with heavenly hope to remove our earthly despair. Yes, the sin, the curse of sin is far and wide. But his blessings flow far as the curse is found, and even farther. But when? When does his blessings flow? You might be even sitting here thinking, when are the blessings of the Lord coming to me? When do God's blessings flow? Well, Scripture reminds us, even in our passage this morning, they flow, they come in God's perfect timing. When the time had fully come, God sent his blessing in his son. We've all had experiences, I'm sure, that left us saying, wow, (laughs) that was such perfect timing. Not a moment too soon, not a moment too late, especially if that blessing was in our favor, right? (laughs) But if it's not in our favor, we say things like, wow, that was rotten timing, At least that's what it feels like for us at the time. You know what that's like. You've been there. R.C. Sproul writes these words, quote, God had appointed a time, not just the year or the week or the day, not even just the hour or the minute, but the very second. From eternity past, God said, 
In that precise second, the virgin will give birth to my son. From the Sitzenleben, or the life situation out of which our Savior's birth arises, the time was perfect for the spreading of the gospel. The Roman peace gave an open door for the gospel. And because of Alexander, we call him the Great, because of Alexander the Great, 300 years earlier, people everywhere, royalty and peasants alike, spoke the Greek language. 150 years before Christ, the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into the Greek language. And as a result, Greek-speaking synagogues popped up around the countryside, which gave a venue for the message of God sending his son. God's timing is perfectly planned. He never wrings his hands wondering what to do next. He never feels pressured by anything or any circumstance or anyone to do anything. His plan to send his son at just the right time when all of the things in History at that very moment had been fulfilled and literally in the original language running over. God sent his son to overcome sin's curse and misery right down to the very second. When you think about it, you know, we we like to think about controlling our time. We're going to retire when we're this age. We're going to go on vacation at the end of next year. We're going to do this at this time. But a correct biblical understanding of time is that the created sphere of time serves God's redemptive purposes, not ours. We belong to God and his timetable for everything and anything that happens in our lives. Now, we can certainly make plans. But we hold every one of those plans loosely to the Lord with open hands. Not closed, but open hands. And everything that you experience in life, especially those things that feel like curses in your life, and I'm sure we've all been there and experienced that at times, God is at work behind the scenes redeeming every experience that you go through in life whether they're from the consequences of poor choices that you've made, or whether you've been blindsided by someone else's thoughtless actions, or whether it's disease or tragedy, everything in your life has God's time stamp on it. Perfectly. Thought out plan right down to the second. Because his time stamp... And therefore, his fingerprint is on it. And because you are his child, whatever you experience will always be redemptive and never punitive in your life. I know sometimes we think that God is getting back at me. But for a child of God, that's an incorrect understanding of the scriptures. God doesn't get back at us. Everything that he does and everything that we experience because we are 
at the mercy of his hand is always redemptive. No matter what you're going through or how long you've been in distress, you can endure with a heavenly hope. Why? Because he will redeem your earthly pain and sorrow. He's promised that. And that gives us tremendous hope. No matter what we experience in life. No matter what you will experience this coming week that you never planned on. Even as you look in faith to that day when pain and sorrow will eventually be a thing of the past and that day is coming. You can look in faith today to the one who will turn your raindrops into blessings, your sorrows into joy. He knows how to do that. He has not only come to save us eternally, but he has come to save us every second of our day. And there are ways in which he is saving us today and in this next hour and in the hours to come that you wouldn't even imagine what he's doing behind the scenes. That's how our God works. That's who he is. And that's his heart that he has for you. He comes to make his blessings flow, even though we don't see them at times. He comes to make his blessings flow. And so as you look on the pain and suffering of loved ones, and I'm sure you have stories and you have many examples You don't have to close your eyes to it. You really don't. You don't have to feel helpless and in despair. This is hard, I know, when it comes to your own children, but the pain and suffering that your children or even your grandchildren may experience, God can use to drive them to Christ. And so why would we want to do away with any of those trials if we know that God uses them to drive them to the Savior? In his perfect timing, of course, not ours. As parents who want nothing more than for your children and your grandchildren, perhaps even here your great-grandchildren, to follow Christ, you can endure their suffering with hope that God will redeem their suffering for their good and his glory, all in God's perfect timing. Just as he sent his son in his perfect timing. Now, when you think about it for a moment, God certainly was not bound to send his son when he did. Uh, He could have done so in the time period that we call the Great Reformation. He could have done so in the 20th century. But he chose the time that he did because the time had fully come according to his eternal purpose and the circumstances in the world at that time, which would give rise to the rapid spread of the gospel of God's Son, of which today you are beneficiaries of what happened then. Where would you be if it didn't happen then? We don't know. But you're here today serving and worshiping Christ because of what happened in God's perfect timing then. And think of all, if you know a little bit about church history, all the things that have come about, all the ways in which a clearer understanding of the doctrines of our faith have come about through a lot of struggle, a lot of bloodshed, you benefit today because of what happened then. 
you are beneficiaries of God's perfect timing. Whether it was in your Savior or whether it's in your own life and your own circumstances. That's when his blessings flow. They flow not on our timetable, but they flow in God's perfect timing, in his timetable. But how in the world would he reverse sin's curse? I mean, you, you listen to Deuteronomy 28, it's pretty ominous. <laughs> I mean, it kind of leaves us feeling bankrupt and hopeless. I mean, who in the world could keep all of those laws? No one could, and that's the point. That's the point. Who would reverse that curse? Who had the ability and who had the authority and who had the power to actually reverse what you and I deserve to have happen to us? Well, God would provide the world a Savior. A Savior who is both, and in fact must be both, human and divine. It was his Son that God sent to a world filled with sin, despair, and misery. That means that his son existed before Bethlehem. That's a thought. His son existed before Bethlehem. That cannot be said of any one of us. We didn't exist before birth. We were not spirits waiting for a body, as in Greek philosophy or Mormon doctrine, as they teach. The son's birth is unique. He existed not... That is, before Bethlehem, he existed not in the flesh, but as spirit before he put on flesh. He is the eternally begotten, not made, Son of God. We're going to confirm, uh, affirm that after the sermon today. He was always from eternity past the Son of God existing as the second person of the Holy Trinity. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that, but it's true. Because Jesus told us that. He lived in glory with God the Father and God the Spirit. The eternally begotten can only be divine because he is eternally begotten. That's who God sent into the world, the eternally begotten Son of God. But here in our passage in Galatians, Paul tells us something else in addition. It's not a subtraction, it's an addition. Paul tells us that God's Son was born of a woman that he was born under the law, that he was born into affliction, pain, and trouble. No doubt he knew Job's words when Job writes in 14 verse 1 that man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. He was, as Paul says, born under the law. The one who made the world the one who made you and me, put himself under the law's obligation. And he's the creator of the universe. He spoke and the world came into existence, and yet he subjects himself to the law of God when he took on human flesh. What a plan. Would we have ever thought of that? No. But it's an amazing plan of the triune God in the covenant of redemption, long before God spoke the world into existence. He didn't, our Savior didn't just parachute down on Good Friday and go to the cross to pay for our sins. No, 
He went the full course. He had to first fulfill the law. And so he had to, he had to live his entire life keeping the law in thought, in word, and in deed without ever making one mistake. That was true for him when he was a toddler. That was true for him when he was a teenager. And that was true for him when he was a young adult. But he did something else that is just unimaginable for us. He willingly died under sin's penalty. You see, God's law required that the soul that sins shall surely die. But he had no sin of his own. But instead, he bore the weight of yours in his body. That's our Savior. That's what he willingly did. That's what he agreed to do in the covenant of redemption long before the world was created. That I will take upon myself the penalty of lawbreakers of those whom you have given to me. He knew that that was coming. He didn't catch them by surprise. He knew it. Along with the triune God, he planned it out. And so by coming to the world, Jesus agreed to take upon himself the death penalty for our sins. And because he was fully human, he could stand in our place as our representative. If he were not human, he could not be our representative. And so he had to be human in order to be an adequate representative. But because he was fully divine, he alone could satisfy divine justice. How, he, how would he reverse sin's curse? Well, God would give us the God-man because of his love for us and his mercy. He would give to us the God-man who served us as both God and man. Man's perfect God, God's perfect man. You see, Jesus obeyed God's law when you couldn't. He took upon himself the curse of law-breaking because you yourself could never in a hundred lifetimes satisfy God's just requirements. It's just not possible for you to do so. He was like you and he was like me in every way except with sin. Your Savior, my Savior, laughed. He cried. He had rules from his parents. He was a teenager. He got sick. He needed a good night's sleep to get up, to go to work the next day. His adult brothers rejected him. He lived every day in the briar patches of life. He was subject to all things human as far as the curse is found. And so God blessed us, you and me, by sending us the God-man who is both divine and human in one person. Why this way? Why not another way? It was God's plan. But he did so so that he could redeem us for a personal, meaningful relationship with him. A relationship that places you and me as God's adopted sons and daughters right in the center of our Father's heart. That's where you live in the Father's heart. You live right in the center of his heart. If we're serving God out of fear or guilt, and there are times that we fall into that when we feel like we have to make up for something that we did wrong, 
if we're serving God out of fear or guilt, or if we're walking the path of life weighed down with sin, guilt, and condemnation, we, we really show, dear friends, we really show <clears throat> that we do not understand what Christ has done on our behalf. Paul tells us that Christ has brought us from slavery, that is being in a state of slavery, into sonship. He has put his spirit in us to remind us of what we really are and whose we belong to. We're not slaves held in fear because we can't keep the law, no. We are supernaturally adopted as sons and daughters of God through faith alone in Christ alone. That means that you and I are freed from the law defining us. That has a lot of implications. It has a lot of implications for our mental health, for our counseling needs, all the issues and struggles that we have. We're not defined by the law of God. Instead, our life is now defined by Christ, who is the lover of our soul. If you belong to Christ, that is true of you. I love what Martin Luther writes in his commentary on Galatians. It's one of those quotes that every time I read it, I I just marvel at it because it's so applicable in our lives. This is what Luther says. Quote, that in our whole life, in all dangers, in the confession of our faith before tyrants, and in the hour of our death, we may boldly and with all confidence say, O law, you have no power over me. You accuse and condemn me in vain. For I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whom the Father sent into the world to redeem us miserable sinners oppressed by the tyranny of the law. He gave his life. He shed his blood for me. Therefore, feeling your terrors and threatenings, O law, I plunge my conscience in the wounds, blood, death, resurrection, and victory of my Savior Christ. Besides him, I see nothing, hear nothing. Plunging ourselves in the wounds of Christ. That's a regular practice we ought to be engaged in. When we feel discouragement in our life. When we feel helpless or useless in our lives. When we're filled with sorrow or sadness. We plunge our lives into the wounds, the resurrection, and the victory of Christ. We learn to do that. We practice doing it. We practice doing it during seasons of joy so we will be well practiced when seasons of sorrow come. We plunge our hearts and our minds and our thoughts into Christ. Now, I know because it's true for me. Most likely it's true for you. Even after we become sons and daughters of God, we sometimes forget our Father's love. And we start thinking and living according to what, how we have forgotten the Father's love. We start thinking of ourselves as slaves and not as sons and daughters. We look to law keeping as something that will gain favor with God. 
We might even think that by being more strict and more narrow in our approach in life, that this wins the heart of God, but it doesn't, and it never will. Godliness that is greater than Christ or outpaces him is legalism and leads to condemnation. There is so much more we could say about that. But any kind of godliness that outpaces Christ is not of Christ. It's legalism. And it only breeds condemnation in our hearts and in our conscience. God wants us to rest not in his law, but to rest, to learn how to, and to practice resting in his son. Even on those days that we blow it, and even when we are under the consequences of our own sinful behaviors, he put his spirit in us to help us remember that we come not to an angry father, but we come to who? Abba, Father. For sons and daughters of God, the law is not burdensome to obey, but John tells us that it's a delight to obey God's commands when we belong to him. Why? And what is our motivation? Because God's smile is upon his people. He rejoices over you. That's why obeying him I can do because of his spirit in me, and knowing the grace that he pours out upon my life. It's my motivation. It's the reason I live for him. Those of you who are kids, are there kids here? Children? I don't see it, but if there were children here, are you hiding behind your mom and dad? Well, that means for you practically that I can obey my, bar- my parents, my mom and dad, even when it doesn't make sense to me. Why? Because my heavenly father loves me enough to give parents to me who love and care for me. Parents who love the Lord, but also love me as well. There's wives here, I know. I can submit to my husband even when I disagree with him. Why? Because I see my savior over his shoulder who ultimately says to me, you're doing this for me. I can walk with others through the briar patches of their lives knowing that my God didn't close his eyes to my pain and to my misery. And I can endure whatever pain and suffering I'm facing here and now or will face tomorrow because I know that as an adopted son or daughter, there's nothing that I can experience without it first passing through the perfect, pleasing, and goodwill of my heavenly Father who somehow and in some way, unknown to me, works out everything according to his eternal purpose right down to the second. Dear friends, if you're here and you have never trusted Christ alone to make you right before God, let the guilt of God's law drive you to Christ today. Don't wait Let it drive you to Christ today. He will make your guilt a thing of the past and will free you from the fear of death and free you from eternal condemnation and of despair in life. Look to Christ today. I urge you, whether you are here or you're listening online, flee to Christ, turn to Christ, trust in Christ. 
Oh, how sweet he will be to you. He will be your joy unspeakable when you fully give yourself to him. After hearing the gospel several times before he died, Rodney told me that if God can forgive him and want a relationship with him, then he could reach out to his own son and seek forgiveness and perhaps be reconciled. I remember that time when Rodney bowed his head and confessed his sin for the first time before a holy God. And he trusted in his son to reconcile him to God. It was early in that week after he made that profession of faith that he reached out to his own son, confessing his wrongdoing to him. Peace filled his soul and not a moment too soon. For he then slipped into eternity at peace with God and at peace with his earthly son. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem you from the curse of the law and to make you his adopted, loved sons and daughters. You are safe and secure. You are home in his adopted family. You are his, and you will never be another's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's so easy for us in the midst of the circumstances and trials that we experience throughout our days to forget just how wide and deep your love for us really is. And that somehow and in some way when everything in our lives seems to be in chaos and out of control, you are not anxious about anything in our lives. You are at peace always, and you are always calmed. And you orchestrate all the events of our lives in such a way, in ways that we don't even see or even know, but in such a way that our faith is built up and you somehow and in some way receive the glory for it. Lord, that requires living by faith to truly believe that. And so increase our faith that we might truly believe that in the days to come. For we ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen. We invite you to stand as we confess our faith together using the Nicene Creed. People of God, what is it that we believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, 
and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was sent, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please remain standing and turn in your hymnals to hymn number 540. 540, a few more years shall roll. may be seated. I believe at this time a diaconal offering is collected. Mm-hmm. 
And let us say to the Lord together, Lord, we give our gifts to you with thankfulness for the magnificent gift of Jesus that you so generously gave to us. May we give to others with the same thankfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. It was Jesus who told us these words. I tell you, I will not drink again from this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The Apostle Paul also says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When will that be? In God's perfect timing, when he returns. In the supper, we not only look back in gratitude to what Jesus has done for his people, but we also look forward in anticipation to what he will still do with us one day, and that is to drink new wine with us. Drink new wine in his and in our Father's kingdom. When will that be? He comes with the clouds and every eye will see him. That's when it will be according to John's vision and revelation. John describes that supper, that new wine, that new feast, that covenant feast in Revelation 19 as a cosmic event with a loud voice of a great multitude saying, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. What will that be like? Think about that ever? What will that be like? Anticipating that? What will that be like? But until that time comes, which it will come in God's perfect timing, until that time comes, Jesus takes bread and wine. And he tells us to feast on these so that we would not forget that he sacrificed his body and shed his blood for our sins. And so we do that when we gather together. To remember what Christ has done for us. But it doesn't just end with a commemoration. It goes further than that. This supper that we're going to partake in just a moment also promises that one day there will be a glorious reunion. And never ending festivities awaiting the children of God who eagerly look forward to his physical appearing. There are those today who rush his physical appearing. To think that his physical appearing occurs in the bread and wine through magical mumblings, as Calvin said, is not only deceptive, but it's premature. The next great cosmic event will be the return of Christ. He will be visible to all people. His return will be eminent. And his return will be glorious. This is what Jesus wants you to anticipate every time that you gather together and you eat the Lord's Supper, that he is coming again. And he is coming to take you to be with him forever for that great marriage supper of the Lamb. And when you think on that, when you meditate and reflect upon that truth, even as you take the Lord's Supper, it will give you hope. It will give you encouragement and strength to live each day knowing that he is with you today and promises to come for you tomorrow. Right down 
to the second. If you belong to him through faith and repentance, if you've been baptized and are in good standing here at Providence Church or some other church that preaches and honors the gospel, the free grace of God in Christ, then you are welcome to come forward and partake of the Lord's Supper and be nourished in your faith. It's a feast for those who are weary and discouraged in life. If you're not a member here, if you're sitting here and you don't belong to Christ, you're not a member of a local church, you've not been baptized, then you will not find this table at all beneficial to you. You would find far more benefit in first taking Christ to yourself. That must come first, through repentance and faith in him. And you will also avoid God's judgment, for Paul says very clearly that anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing or discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon themselves. So think carefully if you do not belong to Christ. If you're a member, but you are living in unconfessed sin, do not come forward and participate until you have repented and returned to the living and true God. This supper cost more than what you can imagine to the Father and to the Son and to the Spirit to make light of it. As covenant children, if you're longing to participate because the meaning of the Lord's Supper compels you inwardly. Grandparents, if you see your grandchildren being stirred, talk to mom and dad, your, your kids, And if those kids are desiring the Lord's Supper, not just to be included because everyone else does it, but there's a longing to feast with the Lord Jesus Christ, then encourage them to come to the elders, and along with mom and dad to come to the elders so that they might give their profession of faith and become communicant members. Then they will be able, or you will be able to enjoy the full benefits of this table. This is a true statement that there is coming a time when we will, you will, participate in, this, in the Lord's Supper one last time before you see Christ. Could be today. It could be next Sunday. Whether the Lord brings you home or whether the Lord returns in his perfect timing. And so let's participate as if this were the last supper that we celebrate before we see him face to face. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, our Savior took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many. the forgiveness of sins. But whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is right to give him thanks to him. 
praise. It is indeed right and a good and joyful thing, O Lord, to come before you and rejoice in your presence, knowing that we have been invited by your grace to sit at your table. And so we would pray, O Lord, that you might take these common elements, the bread and the fruit of the vine, and that you might use them for your spiritually intended purposes, to strengthen us and to encourage us so that our hearts might be strengthened and our souls refreshed. We ask and pray in Christ's name, and together we say, Amen. Amen. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. May the Lord bless you as you partake of the Supper. I invite you to come forward and uh, partake of the Lord's Supper. The body of the Lord given for you, rejoice in the Lord in his mercy and grace given to you. Take and eat all of it.
The cup of the Lord, which represents the new covenant in His blood given for you. Take and drink all of it. Our gracious Savior, as we have partaken of Your Supper, we pray that You might enable us with a renewed desire, a renewed zeal, to renew our covenant vows. That we would live, leave this place committed to following you and obeying you. That we would also leave this place anticipating that one day our eyes will see you at your perfect time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Do we sing 497 or go to joy to the world? 195, yeah. Okay. 195. Let's stand together as we sing joy to the world. Look up and receive God's blessing upon your life. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen.
Good morning. Just a brief look at the uh, insert in the bulletin. As it is a holiday, um, this, this weekend we will not be holding Christian education classes today. Instead, we'll just have a brief time of uh, refreshment and fellowship after announcements. So please stay, linger a little while with us and, and uh, fellowship. I see a January 11th um, women's prayer meeting at Deneen's home, Thursday the 11th of January coming up. I'm not sure um, the Wednesday night Bible study, you know, pastor will be home, according to the bulletin here, around the second or third. So I, I think I'll wait to hear from him um, in terms of as far as when that that. Thursday Bible study will resume. Just remember, folks, traveling, Jeff and Heidi coming back from the planes, um, and I'm sure others are traveling. Some are ill. I know the Klauses have the flu, so just pray for folks to for safety and health in the coming new year. Anybody have anything else? Mrs. Hannum. Yes, the fellowship meal, right, after worship next Sunday. So please prepare for that. Plan on that. You are dismissed.